what does it mean to be happy? Happiness can mean a lot of different things. Is happiness about feeling good? Is it in achieving the right things? Is it in the stuff we have or the people around us? It seems like happiness is always out of reach. What are the habits that lead to happiness? So I want to talk about chasing happy today, and, and it's a bit like these kind of perplexing X-type games. Like, we, we've experienced it before, right? And we like more of it, but sometimes we don't really know, like, how to find it or where to find it or how to get more of it, and we never get enough of it. And when you think about the idea of happy, so much of our lives kind of revolve around the pursuit of it, We're calling it like chasing it. Like so many decisions that we make in life are about the pursuit and, and the chasing of happy. Like at work or in relationships or where we go, what we're going to eat after church today, where we don't go, the people we hang out with. Almost everything we do in our lives leads to this idea of trying to find more happiness in our life. Are you tracking with me? Like we, we chase it in the gym because, you know, if we work out, we feel better, we look better, it's going to bring more happiness to us. We chase it into a car dealership sometimes for a new ride or into the mall for some new clothes or the next purchase or into maybe a new relationship. So much of what we do in our lives is tied to the pursuit of happiness. And we do this in, in like an external way in our culture. We think it's out there somewhere and we got to go out and try to find it so we go after it. Sometimes we think it's like a new us, you know? If we could look in the mirror and have a different nose or different hair or any hair or, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing, we think then, then we'll be happy. Or, or maybe it's in a new career or a new house or a new TV or new furniture or a new zip code. I mean, when you stop and think about it, which I'd like for us to do today, we do this a lot in our culture. We're just out pursuing it all the time, and it's always, almost always, these external pursuits. So today, I want to talk to you about a way to find happiness that is like a new play. We're going to go down a different pathway. And we're going to talk about this out of the, the context of this New Testament book called the Book of Philippians. And the Apostle Paul writes this whole book really about happiness, is about joy. And the big idea in Philippians is this right here, that happiness doesn't come by getting something new. Happiness comes by becoming something new, becoming someone new in Christ. You see, when you discover Christ and you begin your journey with him, he leads you to transformation where your life is literally changing consistently along the way. And he leads you into these practices or these habits that you can do where you actually experience what Paul talks about so well in the book of Philippians. And what I love about Paul writing about happiness and joy in Philippians, he writes it while he's in prison, which I think gives it more weight, do you? It's, it's not like he's like on a beach laying on a hammock you know, with his favorite drink, telling us all how to find joy and happiness. He's in a very, very tough situation. 
And he talks about, you know, giving thanks and being grateful and having this, this posture of, of happiness in your life while he's in a very, very difficult time. And here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. And then remember, he says, the Lord, the Lord is coming soon. Now, you see that, that word always? It's a huge word. And in the Greek, do you know what it means? It means always. That's what it means in the Greek. Like always. Like always be full of joy. When I read that, I'm like, like really? Like he, he means like when the water heater goes out, when work isn't going well, when relationships are a struggle, when you face rejection or some kind of difficult circumstance, always be full of joy. And, and I, I, when I was studying this, I realized that this sentence, this first sentence from Paul, it's a command, you guys. It's like a command from God. It's not, like, it's not optional. And again, I, I read it, and I realized it's a command. I'm like, is this even possible to always be full of joy? And so when I, when I was getting into it and realizing it, it was a command, I realized the key to it is in the three words after the word joy. Always be full of joy. We say it out loud with me? In the Lord. So, so here's a, a kind of a crazy concept. Paul is saying seek happiness in God, which is really an interesting idea because I think most of us in our culture, when we think of happiness and where to find it, honestly, not, we rarely think that we're going to go to God to find happiness. A lot of times we think that God almost can get in the way of our happiness with all these commands and ways that he tells us to live and all that. He can almost keep happiness away from us. Like when Carmen was little, uh, she had this idea that it would be fantastic for us to get a cute, small, yellow lab dog, right? And she was obsessed with this idea. The problem was we already had a cute two-year-old chocolate lab who had just gotten out of the terrible twos, and if you have dogs and you raise them, you know how that goes. And so I wasn't going to have it, and I was firm. I'm like, no, one dog's enough. We're not getting two. And so she's a smart girl. She started working on Rhonda, my wife, and that took about two seconds to get Rhonda on her side. So now they're tag-teaming on me about the idea of having a yellow lab to go with a chocolate lab, but I was firm. I'm like, no, we're not going to do this. It's not going to happen. One dog's enough. We don't need any more. We just got this one trained, and so we're not going down that road again for the next two or three years. So what did they do? They did it anyways, right? I'm sitting there one day, and I see Rhonda's parents come in, and they come in with this box, and the box is moving, and I'm like, no, 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 no. They open it up, out pops a yellow lap. It was the worst dog that you could have ever purchased. I'm not kidding you. The dog, like... I don't know if its taste buds didn't work or something, but it never was satisfied from a hunger perspective. So it would eat everything. And I mean like everything, like wood. I, one day it was out in the garage 
and we had a bag of birdseed. It ate almost the entire bag of a 40-pound bag of birdseed. I'll never forget, its stomach was like, like a beer belly. You could just thump on it. It was so hard. And one night, Easter got up on my son Johnny's uh, dresser and ate his entire Easter egg basket, candy, all that kind of stuff. About 3 in the morning, I hear that dog sound. You know how they work it up like that? Pukes out, foil paper, Reese's, Butterfinger, all this kind of stuff, right? The dog ate soap one time, and I heard that, that sound again. And this was, as puke goes, it was kind of pleasant because when she puked it out, it was all bubbly and it smelled good. Only time it ever did, right? So to end a long story here, Carmen thought that I, by saying no to this dog, was getting in the way of her happiness. But I really wasn't because it was one of the only decisions in our marriage that was born out of sin because I said no to it, but they did it anyway. So sometimes we think of God this way, right? Like seriously, you guys, think about this. God, when you, when you think about like being good, you think of God. When you think um, about like being holy, you think of God. But happy, right? Really? I mean, if you think about happiness, you think about going to a friend or going to the mall or going on vacation. But rarely do we think about going to God to find happiness. And it's interesting how often we equate holiness with God, but rarely do we equate happiness with God. Yet Paul is saying that we should seek happiness in God. Always find joy in the Lord. And it's interesting only time in the Bible where God is referred to in this way. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul uses this word to describe God. He calls God a blessed God. And the translation for the word blessed is happy. In, in fact, some theologians think that the translation is more intense than just happy. It, it, it's actually like more than happy is how they would translate it. Uh, some call this section of the Bible the happy God section of Scripture, blessed God. And, and the idea is, is that, you know, God's not some, some giddy, you know, woo-hoo party animal, but he is the source of true, lasting joy and happiness in our life, and you find it in him. Paul, Paul, in the book of Galatians, he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Like, when you invite Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit takes up residency, and like a fruit tree produces fruit, our lives start producing all these kinds of fruit. And things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now look at the first three. Love, joy, and peace. And that's where happiness comes from. And Paul is saying that those things come from God. Because God is this blessed God. He is the source. The really true source in this world of long and lasting joy and happiness. And love, joy, and peace. Those are the things that we want in our life. And so Paul again is saying that that's, we, we find it in him. In fact, I believe that, that like God gives us these commands, always be full of joy in the Lord, in order to keep us from unhappiness. Like think of it this way, the Ten Commandments. Uh, Thou shall not lie. How many times have you ever lied, gotten caught, and felt happy about it, right? Never. 
or thou shalt not covet. How many times do we compare ourselves to others, wish we had what they had, and then all of a sudden the happiness and joy is just sucked out of our life because we think we don't have what we need like they have what they need. So maybe God isn't trying to get in the way of our happiness, but maybe, just maybe, that he leads us to the true source of happiness found in him, and he allows it to play out in our lives as we learn how to follow him. Maybe God is the answer and not the barrier to us experiencing happiness. So how are you doing with this one? Like when you look for contentment and peace and joy and fulfillment and happiness in your life, is God your first thought when you think about that? Here's another thought on, on chasing happy. Pursue the habits of happiness. Like when you look at the book of Philippians, it's really a, a book that teaches us these habits of happiness. I'm going to get to a couple of them here in a moment. But I found in some research, I found this uh, graph about how happiness works in our lives. It's out of a book called The How of Happiness, a fascinating read. And the author did tons of research on why are some people happier than others? Why are they more fulfilled than others? All this kind of stuff. And what they found out is that 50% of the happiness factor in the life of a person is what they call fixed, meaning you're, you're born with a set point of happiness in your life. It's like a part of your, your DNA, your genetic code. Half of a person's ability to live at a place of joy and happiness, it, it, it comes with you at birth. Did you know this? I, did, I didn't know this until I was reading this and researching it. And when you think about it, it's really true because, like, think of little kids. Like, here's, uh, here's three of my grandsons, right? So some kids just come out with a smile on their face, right? They're happy all the time. These guys are like that. Mason's our oldest. He just turned 11. And the dude's always been just, he just enjoys life. He enjoys people. This last year, he decided to run for student council, to run for president, like two days before election. And my daughter was telling me about it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's, what's his platform? What's he going to, you know? And she's like, well, he's, his platform is he thinks they should extend recess so that their brains would be sharper in the afternoon. I'm like, that might get them the, vote, the votes and, and cause them to win. So th the next day, they vote. I'm fearful. I get up that morning actually praying that he wins because I don't want the little dude to face rejection for the first time in his life, right? So I call at the end of the day, did he win? And my daughter's like, no, he didn't win. I'm like, oh, no. And I'm like, how is he? And he was in the car, so she put him on speakerphone. I'm like, buddy, how you doing? With not winning. He goes, oh, I'm fine. He said, I, I, I kind of view it as a learning experience, he said. <laughs> right? And he goes, in fact, I'm going to help the guy who won. We're friends, so I'm going to help him do what he wants to do. He's just got this, like, 50% set point. This little guy over to my left here is Silas, my daughter Mandy's little guy. He, he is like that 98% of the day. That's what he looks like. I'm not kidding you. And the funny thing is, he never sleeps. He does not sleep. Like, if, he, if he'll give her two hours a night, that's a great night. She's exhausted. He's like that all the time. And then Mac, Carmen's guy. Have you guys been around Mac? Mackie Moo Moo, as the girls call him. That, that's Mac. This, he's just like this all the time. And there's, there's kids that are like this. So the 50% fixed thing is really reality. And we know the reverse of it. There's other people in life 
that it's harder for them to live in a state of, of joy and happiness. It's just happy's hard for them. It's, it's difficult for them. Now, if you look at the graph, there's another really fascinating part of it, and that is the 10% piece of the pie right there. And what they found out is that 10% of our happiness is tied to life events. Who knew? Because in our culture, we think that 98% of happiness is tied to life events. But they, they, they researched it. It's only 10%. So getting something new, doing something new, finding someone new, getting a new career, all that kind of stuff, it, it helps for a while, but it's really a small percentage of the happiness factor in our lives. And then the most exciting part of the study was the yellow part of the graph here, and that is they found that 40% of our happiness comes by the habits, they call them intentional activities, that we engage in in our lives. So the good news is you can do something about the happiness and the joy factor in your life by practicing habits of happiness. And when I read that, I'm like, this is awesome because this is what Paul is saying in the book of Philippians. It, it's such a huge reality. Nothing has to change externally in our lives in order for us to experience higher levels of joy and happiness is what they found out. So what are some habits that we could practice? Well, back to Philippians. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Look at this. Don't worry about anything. Another one of these grandiose statements that Paul makes. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. How true is that? His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So, first habit, is when I was reading this and looking at it, it's this right here. Replace worry with prayer. Replace worry with prayer. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything, which is about as big as, you know, always be full of joy in the Lord. And when you think about it, this is not that easy to do because there's so much stuff to worry about, right? Can I get a witness on this? I mean, the world and what's going to happen to your kids and your job, and it's just constant all the time. But the key to this habit is to make worry not a habit and prayer a habit. To make prayer a habit. And for most of us, I would say that we could grow in making prayer a habit. Like you guys, think about this. What if we actually did what Paul said? What if like every time you worry, you could just shift and start praying about whatever you're worrying about? It would be a game changer if we would literally do this simple truth. Like every time you worry about your kid, you just shift and pray for him, knowing and trusting that God is going to protect and provide for him. Every time you worry about work, oh, you just you shift and you pray, you work hard, you do the best you can, and you know it's going to work out in the end. Every time you worry about finances, you shift and believe that God will provide, ask him for more discipline to manage it. And to learn more about how to manage it and all that. When you worry about your future, shift. Ask God to let his will just play out in your life as it will as we follow him. What would happen if we did this, replace worry with prayer? Here's what would happen. 
your perspective would change in, in a dramatic way in your life. I mean, some of you may have walked in here today with a huge challenge that you're facing right now that you're losing sleep over, but if you would pray and instead of worry about it, at some point through prayer, you would realize that God is bigger than your challenge. He can handle it. It didn't surprise him. He knows the solution for it, and he's gonna use it as only he can to make you into the person that he created you to be. I mean, he spoke the world in existence, right? Just said something and it happened. Don't you think that he can handle whatever it is that might be the challenge that you're facing right now in your life? I love this quote, Mark Twain. I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. Isn't that true? I mean, we spend so much energy freaking out about stuff that never happens along the way. Such a good quote. So, replace worry with prayer. And here's the final habit. Find the awesome. Find the awesome. I love this phrase, find the awesome. This is what Paul is doing in the text when he says this. Don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. And then look at this. Tell God what you need and then thank him for all he's done. I call it finding the awesome. Thank him for all he's done. No matter like how challenging life can be, you can always find the awesome somewhere out there. And I, and I don't mean, mean to make light of some of you who may be you know, neck deep in, in a difficult circumstance or situation in your life right now. But if you'll hang on and you keep looking, you'll find awesome in it. One of my long, uh, long-time staff guys, his wife's brother died last week of cancer. He's 51. He died. They did his funeral. And two days later, his only daughter graduated from high school. I mean, how brutal is that, right? So I was asking my friend, my staff friend, like, how was it and how'd it go? And he said, you know, it is what it is. It was horrible. And then then he paused and he said, but you know what? The crazy thing about it was, you know, we're grieving about it, but his name was Ken. He lived his life so well, he said, that there was so much to celebrate in his life. And then he said, in a strange way, like seeing family that you never see at these gatherings, It's very meaningful and significant. So he said, in the midst of the sadness and the brokenness of it all, there were still these glimmers of a life well lived and the inspiration of that and just to connect with people that matter so much to you. And and, and he was just talking about this fact that even though life is difficult, there's always something that we can see in it, right? My friend Mike Foster calls it brutal. You ever heard of that? Brutal, brutiful, he says. He, He takes brutal and beautiful and puts it together and he says that's the way life is. And I think he's so right. Every, every season of your life, there's beautiful things going on and there's brutal things going on. And it's just the, the ebb and flow of life. And when we realize it, we can find the awesome even in the difficult times. You guys agree with this? It, life is, it, it's brutal, really, when you think about it. Find the awesome. It's where you find happiness. When a guy... Uh, recently wrote a blog about this idea of finding the awesome in the, in the simple parts of life. And he listed these things, and I thought it was so good, I copied it in my phone and put it down. And so see if you can connect with any of these. He's like, um, 
when the social event that you really didn't want to go to gets canceled, that's awesome, right? <laughs> yes, so much. When you, and I actually, this was in this list. I didn't put this in here because of what's going to happen later today. But when you are having a popsicle in the summertime and you get to that last piece on the stick and it's barely hanging on and you're fearful it's going to fall off, but it doesn't and you get it in your mouth, that's awesome, right? That is so awesome about summertime. Or starting the weed whacker with just one pull. Isn't that awesome? Like, I was trying to do it this week. I'm like, like 20 pulls. I couldn't get it cranking the primer deal, going again. I'm sweating. And then I thought, I wonder if the kill switch is on. Sure enough, it was. So I popped it off. That was awesome. Boom. Off we go. Right? Or when you turn on the car radio, you're cruising down the road, and a favorite song from high school comes on, and you're just like singing at the top of your lungs. You're swept up of the memories of a, a season of life that was so good and so fun. That's awesome, right? Or someone you haven't heard from in a while calls just to let you know they were thinking of you and they appreciate you and they just want to know how you're doing. They don't want anything. They're just thinking about you. I mean, how awesome is that? Or in the middle of the night, you roll over, you wake up, you roll over, and you realize that you have three more hours of sleep, Right? How awesome is that? Or opening the fridge in the pantry and you have so many choices. It's so awesome. Or sitting around a campfire with great friends on a beautiful summer night, great conversation. How awesome is that? Or having some uninterrupted time to read a book or to listen to some favorite music or to watch a movie or fill in the blank. I mean, how awesome is that? Or... Having your eighth grandkid and they name him after you? Are you kidding me? This happened to me. My, my son Johnny and his wife Justina, they just had this little guy. And they were real quiet about the name. And we were all trying to figure it out and get him out of him. We couldn't. So he's born, my wife and I, Justina's mom, Sandra, was in the, the room. And so we're like, okay, so like, what's his name? And Johnny's holding the little guy, and he starts to say his name, and he starts getting choked up. And then he says, my name. I, I was like, oh, my gosh. I couldn't believe it. was one of the most honoring things that had ever happened in my life. And then he goes over to the whiteboard in the room, and he writes it on the board. I snapped that picture. I'm going to keep it forever. I mean, how awesome is that, right? Guys, it's everywhere, every day. A God who forgives you no matter what. How awesome is that? A God who loves you so much. You, you can't do anything to make him love you more, and you can't do anything to make him love you less. I mean, how awesome is that? Finding the awesome, it's everywhere. And when we do, we actually can catch happiness and joy along the way. So here it is. Seek happiness in God, instead of events, things, or people. Not that those other things are bad, and there's a measure of happiness in it, but it's like cotton candy happy. You know what I'm talking about? You ever, you ever realize how long a, a bite of cotton candy lasts in your mouth? About two seconds, right? Seek happiness in God. Pursue the habits of happiness. Replace worry with prayer and find the awesome.